uh, as we begin today, you know, last week, we're, well, if you're visiting with us, we started unpacking our mission uh, as a church. And one of the things that reason I think that's so important is because it helps us to, one, all be on the same page. But when you begin to understand and see just what we're about and who we are as a church, especially if you're visiting with us today. Uh, there's two things if you're visiting today, and this is your first time here, that I, I would encourage you on. First is this. Um, give us the next several weeks. Because if you give us the next several weeks, you'll have an idea kind of what we're about and who we are as a church. Uh, not only from today, but also especially next week and then Easter as we look at God's mission. Um, but the second thing I'd encourage you on is this, is to go back and you can go online and you can listen to last week's message and begin to get an idea again of who we are because that message really sets up everything. Um, you see, as a church, our mission here is to, uh, to is threefold. It's to love God, it's to love others, and it's to love the world. Last week, we began unpacking that first section, which is simply to love God. And as we did, we looked at that passage in Mark chapter 12, uh, starting verses 28, then through 30, where he basically says this. He says, we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. And today we're going to begin looking at the second part of that, which is simply this, is to love others. It's to love others. And what does that, you know, what that, does that entail? What does that mean? Well, that's kind of what we're going to look at today. Um, and there's a lot of ways I could have went with this. There's a lot more that I could have talked that I could talk about, but it would take several weeks, and so I just tried to condense everything down. But this is what we want to do. We want to unpack this section of our mission, love others. So as we do that, if you would stand with me, if you would, because I want us to read this passage together. We're going to start where we began last week, starting in verse 28, but today we're going to also add verse 31 into the mix. And so let's begin reading. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. You may be seated. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You know, during uh, Jesus' lifetime, rabbis were often busy arguing over the meaning of of that one simple word, neighbor. The reality is they like to argue about a lot of things. They like to debate a lot of things. But one of those was that word, neighbor. And for most of them, a neighbor was a, a Jew who strictly observed the law. Anyone else, they hated and considered enemies. And in Luke's gospel, in his account of this, in chapter 10, Jesus sought to broaden their definition of neighbor. So in that passage, Jesus goes on after sharing these two great commands, and he tells them the story of the Good Samaritan. We all know this story. I mean, you've heard it before. 
You know, one of the things uh, of the Good Samaritan, if you ever get a chance, pick up the VeggieTale version of it because it's hilarious. But it's so good. It really is good. Uh, in fact, if we'd have had time today, I was going to show that because it, it's, just, it's just really good to help us to understand that. And so Jesus talks to them and he teaches them that a neighbor is any person we encounter who has a need of any kind. It's anybody that we encounter that has a need. It doesn't matter what it is, and it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter uh, where they're from, what they look like, what they smell like, how they vote. It doesn't matter. It's just anyone who has a need of any kind, that's our neighbor. And so the question, maybe, instead of being, who is my neighbor, maybe it should be, am I being a neighbor? Am I really being that type of person that meets the needs of others? You see, loving your neighbor essentially means loving the people around you, all of them. In fact, loving your neighbor is second in importance only to loving God because loving people is really just an extension of our love for God. Jesus couldn't have given us the greatest command without also giving us the second greatest command because the two are intertwined. They're kind of like two hinges on a door that work in tandem. You see, to open your life to loving God is also to open your life to loving one's neighbor. In other words, loving people. Because loving people is a visible manifestation of loving God. In fact, in the scriptures in 1 John chapter 4, uh, verse 20, and I really like how the Message Bible puts it. It says this, if anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, Think nothing, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? You see, we're to love one another. And if you just back up one chapter in 1 John, in chapter 3, starting in verses 16 through 18, this is what we read. This is how we know what real love is. Jesus gave his life for us, so we should give our lives for our brothers and sisters. He says, suppose someone has enough to live and sees a brother or sister in need but does not help. Then God's love is not living in that person. My children, we should love people not only with words and talk, but by our actions and true caring. Wow. That kind of brings it down to that baseline, doesn't it? And the problem is, churches today can talk a good talk, but I wonder about our actions if it backs up what we talk about. You see, it's not enough just to talk and to say that we care and that we want to help and get into the lives of of people unless we're actually doing it and we're actually out there really getting into the lives and meeting the needs and caring for people. So, what can we do to make this happen? And again, there was a lot of things that, in a lot of different directions I could have went with this. But I picked out two things that I think are extremely important. This first one, you may go, well, I'm not sure I would have thought of that. But let me tell you, as you go through this, you will see just how important this first aspect is. If we really want to fulfill this as a church, to love others, this is the first thing we need to do. Unity needs to be a priority. Unity needs to be a priority. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 133, um, 
this, how good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. How good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Now, as you come into the New Testament, there's a great passage that's found in John chapter 17 that gives us a glimpse of this thing called unity. And in this passage, we find Jesus praying for three specific things. He prayed for himself. He prayed for his disciples. But here's the cool thing. In verses 20 and 21, he prays for us. He prays for you and me. I mean, we're not even there yet, of course. And yet, he still, he prays for us. Look at what it says. I pray for these followers, but I am also praying for all those who will believe in me. That's us. That's you and me. I pray for all those who will believe in me because of their teaching. Father, I pray that they can be one. As you are in me and I am in you, I pray that they can also be one in us. Then, get this, then, based on that, based on that unity, then the world will believe that you sent me. How awesome is it again to think that even though we weren't around, Jesus loved us enough and he cared enough about us to pray for us. And what was his prayer? Well, it was simply this. He prayed that we'd be one. That there would be unity for all who take Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And why? And it's because that through our unity, through our oneness, an unbelieving world will begin to see who the Father really is and who Jesus really is. And they will begin to believe that he was sent from the Father to be our Savior. That's why. Here's the thing. Unity matters to God and it needs to matter to us as well. Listen to the words of Paul as he writes in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. He says, God has chosen you and, and made you his holy people. He loves you. So you should always... Clothe yourself with mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive each other. If someone does wrong to you, forgive that person because the Lord forgave you. Even more than all this, get this, clothe yourself in love. Why? Look, love is what holds you all together in perfect unity. You see, we can't come together as the body without love. Because love is what holds us together. Love is what binds us together. Love is what brings us together in unity and oneness in Christ. I mean, the sad commentary of life is this. There are churches all over this country who are so fragmented that they've literally split dozens of times simply over matters that don't matter. I know churches that split because of the color of the carpet or because of the color of the paint on the walls or because they don't want to sing contemporary music, they want to go back to traditional, whatever. I mean, there's worship wars, there's color wars, there's carpet wars, there's all kinds of wars within church, and it divides the church, and the world looks on and says, how can I believe in a God you say sent Jesus when you guys can't even come together? You see, unity matters to God. Paul says, you want to be unified? 
as a community of believers, then you start demonstrating love for one another. John MacArthur writes, he says, minds governed by selfless humility produce lives that, are, that overflow with a genuine, genuine and practical love for fellow believers. But here's the thing, the opposite of that is true as well. Disunity shows a lack of love for others. Because he goes on to say this, on the other hand, sinful self-centered thinking inhibits love and unity. Dissension and a lack of unity in the church inevitably stem from a lack of love. Look at what else the scripture says. And now I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. He goes on in in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and this is what he says. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in spirit, binding yourself together with peace. Again, unity matters to God. And it needs to matter to us. So what can we do in a practical way to show that unity matters? Well, Paul goes on in a great passage of scriptures in Philippians chapter 2. And this is probably a passage that many of you know, you may have memorized before. But again, there's a difference from knowing it and knowing it. There's a difference from between memorizing it and applying it. And so today I want to take you from that realm of just knowing to application. And so in Philippians chapter 2, this is what Paul writes. If you've gotten anything out of, at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a I like how he breaks this down. He just kind of goes on down and he finds this. If you have a heart and if you care, then do me a favor. He says, agree with each other. There's that unity. He says, love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourself the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. Paul's basically saying this. He says, you want to be unified, which will make me incredibly happy? Then you start coming together as one body. You be like-minded. In other words, have similar attitudes and motives and intentions. And be concerned for the things that Jesus is concerned about. He's saying, get rid of your pride. Get rid of your selfishness. And instead, replace them with a lifestyle of humility where you look at the needs of others before even your own. And this can be accomplished by looking to Christ and his example and striving to become more and more like him in your life. Again, unity matters to God. A.W. Tozer wrote in The Pursuit of God, he says, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos that are tuned to the same fork are automatically in tune with each other. 
They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which to uh, which each one must individually bow. Wow, that's, that's good, isn't it? Good stuff. You see, for unity to be a priority, this is the bottom line. We've got to remember who's in charge. <laughs> we've got to remember who's in charge, and it's not us. And we've got to remember who we ultimately bow to. And I think that's why Paul goes on in this passage in Philippians 2 down to verse 9 and 10. And look what he says. He says, Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name, get this, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whether you want to believe it or not, whether you want to accept it or not, the fact is, one day, you will bow. You will bow before the God of heaven. You will bow before Jesus Christ and give an account. Every knee will bow. We need to remember who's in charge, and it's not us. You see, the playing field was leveled at the foot of the cross. No one is any more important than anyone else. We're all just sinners in need of a savior. I saw this week somebody had posted a quote and it simply said, I'm a great sinner, but I've got a greater savior. It's us, isn't it? The playing field was leveled at the cross. But the second thing is this. Not only do we does unity need to matter, but we need to invest in, in the, each other's lives. We need to invest in one another. Solomon writes, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. You see, the reality of life is this. We need each other, don't we? I mean, that, that's just the way life is. We need each other. I mean, we can't make it on our own. Back in November, I mean, this, <laughs> if you know me very well, you know that I, I probably struggle with this as much as anything. Because, you know, you, I've been in ministry for 36 years, full time, and it's very easy for me just to press on and to keep going and to just think, man, you can do this, you can, it doesn't matter. And so when I had those two back surgeries a week apart back in November, in my mind, I was still coming back to preach in two weeks. In Lucy's mind, that wasn't going to happen. Um, now, I, did, I was back in the third week, but I, so I gave it an extra week. But let me tell you, when you can barely get out of bed and you have to wear a brace all the time, and I have to have my wife help bathe me and wash me and change the dressing on my back, you realize really quickly that you need people. That you cannot do life alone. That if it wasn't for others, you could not make it in life, especially in those times when things happen and, and, and you don't know what to do. We need one another, don't we? Does anybody believe that today? 
We need one another in the body of Christ. We can't do life alone. C.S. Lewis wrote, Christ works on us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works on us through each other. You see, we need one another. And as we think about the early church in Acts 2, they understood this. Now, whether it was instinctive or it was brought on because of the persecution that they were going through, they knew that they had to do life together in community with one another because without it, they wouldn't make it. And yet the fact is that being in a loving community is not just an automatic byproduct of being the church. I mean, just because we're a church and just because you come here doesn't automatically mean you are going to understand or you're even going to live in community with others. Because we have a lot of people that come and there are churches all across this country filled with people who come that still do life by themselves. So it's not an automatic byproduct of just being the church, Hugh McKay writes, he says, we tend to be individualistic, self-centered society, and because of that, it has badly damaged our sense of community. You see, being a loving community is something we create as we choose to love as he loved, and as we choose to do things God's way, and as we choose to get involved in each other's life. You see, it ultimately comes down to a choice. We choose to love. We choose to be in genuine, genuine relationships. We choose to be other-centered. So what are some ways that we can invest in each other's lives? Well, let me give you just, just a few. The first is simply this. We need to serve one another in love. We need to serve one another, not be served, but we need to serve one another in love. You know, in that same passage back in Philippians chapter 2, in verses 6 and 7, look at what it says. It says, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Who are they talking about? Who's the who? Who is it? It's Jesus Christ, isn't it? Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider that something just to hold on to, something to hold over us. Instead, he humbled himself. He made himself nothing, and he became a servant. And isn't that exactly what he modeled in John 13 when he washed the feet, the stinking, dirty feet of his disciples? He showed us what it means to be a servant. Martin Luther King once said, everyone can be great because everyone can serve. You see, serving is a practical way of putting the needs of others ahead of our own. It's a way of letting go of pride in any status we think we may have and just simply loving those around us. So let me ask you, are you the type of person that needs to be served or are you the type of person who just loves to serve others? What kind of person are you? You see, if we're going to really love one another and invest in each other, we need to serve one another. The second thing is this. We need to encourage and build up one another. Encourage and build up one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11 in the Message Bible says, So speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so you'll all be together in this. Again, there's that unity. 
No one left out. No one left behind. I know you're already doing this. Just keep on doing it. Speak encouraging words. Build up that hope that we have in Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, Paul writes, Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful. Grow to maturity. Encourage each other. Live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. Encourage one another. I came across this. Somebody made this comment, and I, I had to think about it a minute, but when I thought about it, I'm going, wow, that's really good. I mean, that, that's really kind of what we need to be doing. I just hadn't heard it put this way. This is what they said. They said, they said we need to learn to identify the signs of God's grace in each other and then encourage each other with those things. That's good, isn't it, when you really think about it? That we learn to identify the signs of God's grace in each other. In other words, we're looking for those good things. We're looking for those things that God is doing in that other person's life. And, and we begin to lift those up and we begin to build that person up by those grace elements that God is pouring into that person. I think that's awesome. So look for ways to build up. Not tear down. So let me ask you, if, if I could go to the people that know you the best, and I could just ask them this one simple question, would you describe them as an encourager or not an encourager? What would you say? What would they say about you? Would they say in the workplace that you're the type of person that builds the other person up, that builds up other people, or do you try to put them down and tear them down because it makes you look good? How would people describe you? You see, if we're going to invest in others and invest in one another and love one another, we, we need to learn how to encourage one another and build each other up. But next, we need, we need to learn how to forgive one another, just as Christ has forgiven us. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, the message, it says, In prayer there is a connection between what God does and what you do. I like that. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. You see, we need to learn how to forgive. We need to learn how to forgive one another. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Be kind and loving to each other and forgive each other just as God forgave you in Christ. Forgive each other just as Christ is forgiving you. Let me tell you, there, there's nothing that anyone will ever do to you that, that, is, that is worse than what we have already done to Jesus. Because our sins nailed him to the cross. And yet he still died so that we might have life and that we might be forgiven. We need to learn how to forgive. You see, forgiveness speaks of clearing away the debris of broken relationships and starting the process of loving fully again. I actually think that forgiveness is probably the one thing that really distinguishes God's love from man's love as it's lived out in our lives. Because let me tell you, they cannot help. People cannot help but see God in you when you forgive. 
because it's just not a natural part of who we are. But it is a natural part of who he is. And when we begin to live that out, people will see him. We need to, lastly, begin sharing in genuine community. We need to begin sharing in genuine community. You see, genuine community is one of the purposes God intends to be fulfilled through his church. In fact, I believe that the early church not only understood this, but they also lived it out on a daily basis. Lyle Schaller, a leading church consultant, suggested, he said, the church must do more than add worlds to an already overbooked society. It must design new structures that help people simplify their lives and develop more meaning and depth and purpose and community. We must be focused on experiencing what God intended and created us to have. Biblical community as members of the body of Christ. And so, for us as a church here at The Journey, our desire is to help people to become more like Jesus. And we believe that this this transformation happens best in the context of life groups, Bible studies, men's and women's groups, etc. Where people can get connected to one another in genuine community. In fact, I want you to listen. Last week, we listened to, to Adam uh, through video as he shared about loving God and worshiping youth. Right now, I just want us to hear Dave's heart through video as he shares about this aspect of loving others. Let's watch. The Journey's mission is to love God, love others, and love the world. But what does that really look like? How do we make that mission a lifestyle? Recently, our pastor shared insight into these questions. God has really equipped this church to to love others through through life groups, through um, through the uh, outreach ministry, because. It's all about, it takes the focus off of me, it takes the focus off of us, and it says, you know, God God made every single person in his own image. It's cool when you, you see somebody walk into a life group and they've, uh, they've never been into a life group, they're a little skeptical about what this is all about, they're thinking maybe it's a Bible study, and then they realize that people are caring about them and, and holding them accountable and helping them to, helping them to grow and to be uh, more Christ-like, and it's, it's just uh, a real special environment, and, and uh our life groups are very much centered towards really helping people to grow and to uh, to love Christ, and and you come to the point where this is your this is your uh, your family, this is your spiritual family. Uh, a lot of people are displaced here in in the in this area, and and so they they come and and now they've got a, a family of people that they they spend time with. They they uh, do Bible study together. They uh, they fellowship. They eat and 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 just have a have a lot of social time together as well and oftentimes that becomes their social network as well and, and what's great about life groups is that we come together as a as a church family and to spend time in the word spend time in, in a, with a meal fellowship and and so forth and then caring for each other one one is uh, dealing with uh, sickness and and we're bringing them food and others Dealing with certain, you know, certain other issues, and we're helping out. In different people are coming, uh, coming closer to God through uh, 
all of this because they're they're realizing that this love that they're seeing from us is really uh, a love that that we're receiving from Christ. We have one where we're going to be doing a car wash uh, later on uh, this year, and, and the whole idea is just to bless the community, have them come in, get their car washed, and wonder why in the world they we would do that for free. Why why that would why would that would happen? We're going to uh, do other things. We've got we're going to go into a community called Lansdowne, and, and we're going to do a uh, uh, just a special time with, where they they are we're just gonna love on their kids we're gonna love on the community uh, give them free hot dogs free uh, free hamburgers free food and they're gonna all sit there and go wow why, why, why are you doing this and it's just because we want to show God's love uh, uh, to these people yeah. we've got some really really great leaders of, of life groups that are that are uh, allowing us to, or allowing uh, the atmosphere to be such that people feel loved and feel um, taken care of and and so forth and it's just been it's just a great experience that I, I see within the life groups and there's yeah, so many testimonies of people that uh, you know they came into the church they're looking for looking for uh, friendships and so forth and once they join the life group it was like this all came together. Being in a life group has really led to spiritual growth for me uh, by reading and studying the Word and having conversations with our our life group. Uh, you really get to, or at least we have really gotten into the Word and uh, just a, a better understanding of God and what uh, what the apostles and what everyone has been saying about God and about the Lord Jesus. God created us to be to be in a community. It's, we're the body of Christ. We're not meant to be on our own. And um, through Life Group, we get to share our lives and share our walk and uh, celebrate the blessings that God gives us and also praise Him. And also in moments of difficulty, we get to be there for each other. When we look at the small groups that we have, uh, God has given us some really incredible uh, people that really want to want to seek God to lead these life groups and, and uh, to be really in, uh, involved with helping people or growing people to be Christ-like and, and and as we see in the Acts passage you know they were doing they were living this out and 5,000 people were joining them you know on a, and people were joining them on a regular basis because it was so exciting and that's really what our life groups are and that's what's so exciting for me in, in life. Amen. Before we close, let me just share some reasons why this is so important, what you saw. You see, when we live in community with each other, uh, we have opportunities to connect with others, and these opportunities will happen very naturally. You know, one of the things that I find out when I talk to people is, is that people want to belong, and they want to connect with other people, and life groups... Uh, our women's groups, our, our men's groups, these all give us opportunities just to connect. The next is this, friendships will be made that are genuine and life-changing. I mean, there can, like Dave said, there can be t there's testimony after testimony of, of people's lives that have been changed, that, of relationships and friendships that have been made. As you know, if you've, if you've been here very long at all, we're a very transient area and we're a very transient church because we 
are, have so many military and they're here for anywhere from six months to three years and then they're gone. But let me tell you, the relationships that are built and made and those friendships, they continue on. And no matter how far they may be, they still connect with each other and relationships uh, are, are formed that, that are just that are life-changing and, and just last. But, it, but they're also a place where spiritual growth takes place as we learn to love his word and as we begin to live that word out in our daily lives. I've gotten several emails from people who have moved away, and through those emails, one of the things they've shared is just how much their life changed because of being in groups and how much spiritual growth took place from the time they came to the time they left. It's amazing. It's just awesome. I love it when I get those type of emails. You see, it's a place to grow spiritually. It's a place where accountability will be something we embrace instead of something we fear. It's a place where accountability will be something we embrace because we know how important accountability is. We all need to be accountable to somebody, and we don't have to fear it. Instead, it's a place to embrace it. It will also give us an avenue to identify and use our spiritual gifts in order to serve one another, the church, and the community. Several times a year, Dave does a spiritual gift workshop, and, and I would encourage you to sign up and talk to him about that and get, get those things identified in your life so you'll be able to use your spiritual gifts not only to serve others but to serve the church and the community. Then lastly, sharing our faith will become a part of who we are. You know, one of the things that, that I see happen, and, and that is a, such a priority in my life, and that is this, is that we learn how to share our faith with others. And I think life groups can help us with that. It's that natural thing that can happen in that atmosphere of life groups as we begin to learn what it means just to share our faith. You know, the late Francis Schaeffer once said, our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. Wow. Let's reflect. Somebody has said snowflakes are one of nature's most fragile things, but just look at what they can do when they stick together. We experienced that just a little over a month ago with about 30 inches of those crazy little things sticking together. Imagine what they can do. And for us as a church, think about the incredible things that can happen when we learn how to stick together in unity and we learn how to serve each other out of love. Think what can happen when we invest in each other's lives. So Adam's going to come and, and he's going to play and, and we're just going to spend a moment in reflection. There are a couple things that I'd like you to think about through this. One is, how are you serving others in your life? Two, are you an encourager? If other people described you, would they describe you as an encourager? Or is that an area that needs to, to, to be improved, needs to work on? And then thirdly, have you connected with others? Have you connected in a group, either through our women's group, our men's group, or our life groups? Have you connected in a group? Because if not, this is a chance for you to connect. Dave's going to be, uh, Dave, you'll be out in the lobby, and uh, there's a sign-up sheet out there. If you are not in a life group right now or in one of our groups, I would encourage you 
to see Dave and to talk to him and to get yourself plugged in. And they'll do, you, they'll do their best to get you plugged in to an existing group or we'll just start new groups to get you plugged in. But that's my encouragement to you. So as we reflect, just think about those areas of your life. And how are you loving others? Let's reflect.